Welcome to We Are What We Buy with Dr. Michael Solomon. We'll take a deep dive to look at the patterns, habits, brands, and benefits that drive your customers to buy. The tips and concepts you'll hear on the program will have you standing head and shoulders above your competition. Now here's your host, Dr. Michael Solomon. Hello, everyone, and welcome to We Are What We Buy. I'm Dr. Michael Solomon. Today we're going to dive into a topic that I know everyone has experienced in one way or the other, and that is their interactions with salespeople. So uh, professional selling is a very important part of the world of marketing. Obviously, there are other ways to uh, communicate both with uh, with vendors and with uh, end consumers, but still that one-to-one interaction is often very, very crucial. Although it, it can be very expensive to maintain a sales force, it's often the most effective way to, to let customers know uh, what you're selling, what the value proposition is, and, and uh, allow them to get educated about what you do. So uh, today I'm very happy to have a set of guests who are all sales professionals and who not only are professionals themselves, but also play a role in training other people to be sales professionals. And I think they're going to give us some great insights about how professional salespeople really, really look at what they do and how they think about customers. So I'm really happy to introduce my first guest, uh, Don Townsend. And Don, is a 30-year veteran of the consumer goods industry. Uh, he's also been a professor for the past 18 years where uh, he actually teaches students about sales. So um, he's very accomplished here. So Don, welcome to the show. Thank you, Michael. appreciate the introduction. I like to tell everybody I meet that uh, everybody is in sales. Everybody has to sell um, their ideas. And no matter if you're a school teacher trying to sell a fifth grader, um, why they should learn math in school. Everybody has to motivate other people to understand what value they're bringing and what value they can get from their relationship. So I've always been one that really uh, wanted to understand the consumer. In my earlier days at Kellogg's, we always wanted to launch new products that met consumer needs. And then I, as a salesperson, would take it out to store managers and buyers and get them to put the products on the shelf and actually display it for people to purchase. Um, I always wondered why people buy products and why people buy services. And uh, a lot of times they have to have some kind of trust in you and your ideas, and they have to think it's right for them to purchase it. So the way um, I live and the way I may eat or entertain myself and my family, it's important to me, but I have to realize that somebody I'm talking to may be completely different. So I have to understand from their point of view. So if I'm ever going to uh, develop a relationship with my product, with a consumer or a buyer, I have to let them know what my product is all about and whether or not it matches up with what they're looking to purchase. So the reasons why people purchase any product um, or service uh, varies widely, but basically it's to satisfy a need. If I have a buyer that's looking to buy my brand and put it in the store, he's looking for something that creates excitement something that he can make money on. And so I have to have something that I can develop a program for them. But all of those purchases come from trust. I have to trust the brand and I have to work with people that can trust me. So in sales training, I always said that um, you, you couldn't really train a squirrel to swim or a fish to climb a tree. So I would train my salespeople where their strengths were and then put them in jobs where they could be successful. And so in my business now, I've launched 28 different companies like you would see on Shark Tank where they, I didn't give them money, but they actually helped ask me to help them launch into the marketplace. And most of them were women who had an idea because of their family needs. So uh, they could be a celiac that needed gluten-free product or somebody who had stomach problems and needed to be vegan or eat something that was more organic. And so they develop it for their families and then I helped take it to market. And when I took it to market, then I actually developed it so it would meet the consumer need of convenience in the marketplace. So a lot of people are influenced by their friends and their family and their opinions and their behaviors of their family and their peers and acquaintances. So one of the things we like to do is develop a relationship from 
the beginning of it as a child right through somebody who's retiring, if we can develop that relationship and build a loyalty program along the way that we can take our product and apply it to them at different life stages, it's great. You, you've used some important words. You've talked about trust and you've talked about relationships. You know, we're, we're focusing today on, on the importance of, of personal selling in this whole process of building trust. So can you talk a little bit about that? You know, why, why wouldn't I just, you know, create a character like Tony the Tiger that everybody loves and put it out there and hope that, that people are going to buy my product? You know, what is the value added of of professional selling in that whole equation, especially when you think about how expensive it is to, you know, to pay and maintain a sales force. Yeah, the sales force has to be the person that puts it all together and integrate it into a total program. So if you have a customer, let's say it's a Walmart, and they have programs in the store where you can buy into end cap displays, that's nice. I mean, it costs money and, and you can put the product in there, but you actually have to have somebody coordinate the efforts and manage it. So. The salesperson not only sells it in, but then they tell them that they're going to be there to follow through. So they look into their online uh, information through retail link, and they can see which stores are selling well, and they make sure the product's staying in stock, and they make sure the promotion is effective throughout. So they do more than just sell it in. They actually manage the whole process to make sure that programs work. So in doing that, you build the trust with the, the uh, retailer to know that I'm going to be there working with them and they can trust me and I'm going to make sure the program works. Oh, you, you know, I, I know that you have had a lot of experience in training sales professionals. Uh, can, you, can you give us just a really quick, very specific example of, of what that means? In other words, how, how do you train someone to interact either with the public or with you know, with uh, store buyers and so on. What is it? Are there certain techniques that they need to understand, or is it just all about empathy and trust? Well, you have to talk about the features of your program and why it matches up with what they're doing in their store or in their programs, and then you talk about the advantages of your brand and why your brand would be an ideal fit with them, and the benefits of actually buying your brand and putting it in the store and and promoting into the store. So I trained them around considering that buyer's need in their store, what they're looking for. And the first phase of the selling is the needs discovery phase. And what you do with the needs discovery is you go in and you try to build rapport initially, and then you try to find out what that person would love to do. And a lot of store people like to build profits and excitement in the store. So then you match up your products, no matter what product it is, with the customer in the store to make sure that, that they're getting uh, something in their store that's going to create excitement, build traffic, and actually increase the sales in the store. So we teach them exactly how to build the needs and then go through the features, advantages, and benefits of your product and then handle objections. And a typical objection would be, oh, the price is too high. Or it's not, you know, I already got one of those and I don't need another one. So then you have to be prepared for that. You have to do work ahead of time to look at your pricing. And if you're a higher price, the most valuable you, valuable asset a salesperson can be is to be able to sell a premium product. So you have to know why it's premium. If it's a better quality product, if it works and consumers like it, if you're spending money in the marketplace to get consumers to come into the store, there's a lot of reasons why you can price your product just a little bit higher. And so then they can integrate their program into an, an event that they may be having. So those are the types of things that salespeople do, coordinate these activities and events. Let, let's make a distinction now. Uh, you know, there's, there's really two kinds of salespeople. Well, there's more than two kinds. There's many kinds. But, you know, we, a lot of your work is in what we would call the B2B world or business-to-business -business world where the salespeople are not dealing with the end consumer. They're dealing with other people in the industry. And... And then we have the B2C or, or business-to-consumer type of salespeople. And when we think about that, you know, qu quite frankly, uh, you know, salespeople don't have the best reputation. You know, sometimes, and I'm talking about B2C now, uh, sometimes we think about, you know, used car salespeople and so on. And, and, and of course, you know, that really is a stereotype that's outdated and obsolete. But... Uh, you know, can you comment on that? You know, what what is the sales profession like today? Why why should young people think about going into B to C selling? Is that something that's worth pursuing? 
or is that oh, absolutely in the age of the internet you know with uh, social media selling and so on absolutely so many uh, businesses that I work with are B2C right now because they're trying to sell over Facebook and those types of things but they still have to talk with the public um, you and I went to school. Um, the, the used car salesman was people you didn't want to be around, and, and the worst one was the vacuum cleaner salesman that used to come in your house, knock on your door, and, and dump dirt on your carpet and say, I can clean it up with this great vacuum. They got bad reputations back then, but now the salespeople are more of the experts because they can give uh, very valuable information back into the corporate offices and the marketing team on what the consumers are saying about their brand. So they have to be much more knowledgeable, and they also have to be um, willing to go out and listen to consumers and, and, and understand what their needs are and send, take it back to the office so they can understand what they should be working on. So, you, you know, you're making it sound that like uh, sales is the first step, but then people are going to move out of that. What about people who want sales as a career, uh, you know, yeah. not just a stepping stone to other things? Absolutely. Some people um, do move out of it because they want to get into marketing and management, but a lot of people want to stay in. And typically the people that go into it, they go into it and are motivated because of the money that's involved in it. The salespeople in the field, um, in their first jobs, they probably get more of a salary and they might get a bonus. But there's opportunities for them to be on a commission and where they can make a lot of money. I have two different companies I've talked to here recently in Philadelphia that the salespeople are generating leads on the telephone, talking to people on the telephone, and then going in and, and meeting them face-to-face -to, -face to do high-tech selling. And these people earned on average between $150,000 and $250,000 a year, and they're two years out of school. But a lot of people who are in sales want to do more, like start their own business, and they're very entrepreneurial, and they want to build you know, their own thing that they can call, you know, put their feather in their cap on. So one, one thing I'm curious about, and I don't know if you found this with your students, but I found it uh, with young people in general, you know, they're, they're communicating so much digitally these days, you know, they're texting each, they're sitting in a restaurant and yet texting each other at the table. Yeah. Um, I'm finding, you know, and I'm hearing that, that young people are kind of reluctant to do traditional, you know, in-person selling, they'd rather, they're much more comfortable doing it over LinkedIn or something like that. You know, Absolutely. They don't like to have the face-to-face -face conversations because of the cell phone and the internet. Um, so um, when they, just to think about them as consumers, they have so many options at their fingers that instantaneously they can buy something. And, and the reason why they buy something is because they have some friend or they have some peer group that actually says this is the right thing to buy or something you should try. So they trust their friends more than they trust a big company to tell them what they need. And so I equate it, especially when I'm talking to some older clients, I equate it to be like invited to the family picnic. Catalogs couldn't, couldn't get invited to the family picnic. They had to have somebody go in the family picnic and talk about them so they can actually get the penetration with that group of a social group and uh, get some where it gets some meaning in, the, in that group. If Kellogg's advertised directly to that group, they would not trust them. So getting back to the trust, they have to find people that they trust, and it's usually their friends. So in trying to get them to sell, then all of a sudden they don't like to talk too much to people, and they like to do it all online. So there's a lot of Internet businesses that are online. I've heard people buying mortgages online and insurance online and never talking to anybody. But then something happens in customer service where they have an issue that they have to find out. Then they have to talk to somebody in customer service when they're buying as a consumer. But most of my people, they see the advantage of if they know something really well, like technology, like an Apple iPhone or any kind of technology that's out there now, they would love to be able to sell it and explain to it the value that that product brings to consumers. And, and some people in my classes that um, are really into music, like to be able to sell the music and the actual product that they deliver the music to the, to the kids their age. So they can do it if they love it. And so they have to really have a passion for it. But if you told them they were going to go, even if it was going to be Kellogg's, it would be a hard thing for them in some ways to do it because it's not something they're comfortable with. But they definitely like convenience and they definitely like multitasking and they're really good online. If you can build that knowledge base to something they love so they can actually go out and talk to people about it, they can probably build their career and build their income. 
Great, thanks. And so let, let me put you on the spot real quick as we end up here. Uh, if you could give it, let's say, a 10-second or so elevator pitch for the value of the sales function, you know, in the world of, uh, of consumer behavior, you know, why salespeople really are valuable. Could you, what's, what's your elevator pitch for that career? Uh, the salesperson is the company to, to you. They handle all your problems. They actually make the product that you're buying work much better for you, and you can enjoy it much better. If you're talking to somebody that's selling you an in-home entertainment center, you want to have somebody that's actually presenting it to you, selling it to you, that actually knows the product really well to make sure that your experience with that product is, is run smoothly and, and you enjoy it where you think you're going to enjoy it. And so a salesperson just makes that job so much easier. All right. Thank you. Well, that's all the time we have, but I'd like to thank Don Townsend for coming on the show. Thanks so much, Don. Thank you. I and really enjoyed it and um, look forward to hearing the, the rest of your shows on the air. I appreciate it. Well, you're listening to Dr. Michael Solomon. This is We Are What We Buy, and we will be right back after the break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Book international speaker and renowned author Dr. Michael Solomon for your event today. Michael's presentations reveal cutting-edge trends in advertising and marketing, branding, consumer behavior, and social media. He captivates audiences with the insights he unveils during his interactive keynotes and seminars. Michael has spoken to Fortune 500 companies, top advertising agencies, associations, and branches of government on five continents and has received rave reviews. Book Michael today at michaelsolomon.com. Marketers, Tear Down These Walls, Liberating the Postmodern Consumer by Dr. Michael Solomon is a revolutionary book that explores the psychology of the consumer in today's changing times. The book is packed with information and tools you need to create winning marketing strategies for a complex marketplace. Michael encourages readers to move out of the box, to think like contemporary consumers, and do things differently. This is a reader's favorite. Order today at Amazon.com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are tuned in to We Are What We Buy. To reach Dr. Michael Solomon or his guest on today's program, please send an email to michael at michaelsolomon.com. Now back to We Are What We Buy. Welcome back, everyone, to We Are What We Buy, and I'm Dr. Michael Solomon. Today, we're talking about the role of salespeople and the influence that they have in our lives. We've all had many interactions with salespeople, some good, probably not so good, all and everything in between. So uh, we know that salespeople are still important, even in this age of social media and so on. And uh, there's a lot to understand about what makes a good sales interaction, what makes one of those ones that you never want to think about again. And my next guest is somebody who can tell us all about that and, and more. Um, and I'm really happy to introduce him. He's a, he's a longtime friend, colleague, and actually co-author of mine for, for many, many years. And his name is Dr. Greg Marshall. And Greg is the Harwood Professor of Marketing and Strategy in the Crummer Graduate School of Business at Rollins College in Winter Park, Florida. He's also a visiting professor at Aston Business School in Birmingham in the UK. And Greg has had many different uh, roles uh, prior to being an academic. Uh, he worked in sales. He worked in sales management um, and in marketing roles in the consumer packaged goods industry and in retailing industries. And he uh, is still a frequent consultant and trainer in those areas. Uh, 
He does a lot of research on salespeople and uh, making them more effective on sales organization performance. And he also authors uh, several popular marketing and sales textbooks, uh, one of which is, uh, is a book that he happens to write with me on principles of marketing. And um, uh, Greg is a ver very well known, uh, both in the industry and, uh, and definitely in academia. He's a, a journal editor. Uh, he's currently editor-in-chief of the European Journal of Marketing. Uh, he's very active as an officer in the American Marketing Association. He's a fellow of the Direct Selling Education Foundation. And he recently received the Lifetime Achievement Award from the American Marketing Association Selling and Sales Management Special Interest Group. So uh, I can think of no one more qualified to talk to us about sales, uh, about how we interact with salespeople, and how those of us who want to become salespeople can become better prepared for that role. So Greg, thanks so much for joining me today. Well, thank you, Michael. It's a real pleasure. Uh, worked with you for a long time. First time that you've ever interviewed me. Yeah, there's a first for everything. That's that's for sure. And let let's dive in and you know talk about uh, about you just just for a minute or so uh, because you've had an unusual career path. You started as a professional salesperson, and of course now you teach other people to become professional salespeople. So, you know, what got you into sales in the first place? Yeah, I think most of us that ended up going through a professional sales track didn't necessarily target sales as a profession. It's one of those ones that you sort of discover, honestly. And uh, I was putting myself through school as an undergraduate student and, and working in the retail business. And we used to have all of these, these, these folks that would come into the store and they were representing different products and, and such. And uh, I got to know a little bit about what they did and got to know them pretty well. And it, it occurred to me uh, towards the end of my undergraduate experience as a student that that was a pretty good gig. And so I thought a lot about what I wanted to do after I got my degree. And I decided, you know what? I didn't really come into the, into the, the marketing uh, program at my school thinking necessarily I'd get a professional sales job. But lo and behold, my first job out was in professional sales, and it was for a consumer packaged goods or CPG company. And uh, in those jobs, you basically do exactly what those folks were doing who came to call on me at my retail store. Um, you help make distribution, you promote uh, product coming through the uh, inventory channel, you develop a relationship with the folks that are working in the store, and you know, eventually you sell product in and make a bonus and it's a pretty good income yeah well uh, and you know it's it, it's funny as we we both know a lot of uh, students who go into marketing don't think that they are going to be going into sales they have something else in mind and yet uh, I think predominantly the first at least the first uh, entry-level position that most students start in is in sales and then of course many decide that they like it and and they stick with it so um, you know, maybe maybe we should start by, I guess, tackling the elephant in the room, and that is the the stereotype of the oh. kind of the sleazy salesperson. You knew I was going to get to this. Uh, oh, I know, knew it. A lot of people, when I you know when they hear the word salesman, you know, they sort of preface it in their minds with used car salesman, and you know, not a very complimentary kind of uh, image that comes to mind, and. Obviously, if, if you're in professional sales or if you're training people to be salespeople, you know, one of the things you do is, uh, is learn how to deal with objections to the sale. And I, I would guess that that's a big objection. People saying, oh, I don't want to be like that, you know. So talk about that a little bit. You know, how, how about that stereotype? And, you know, is, is there any validity to it? And, and how do you tell people to think about that? Yeah, that's a major issue, and I think it does. Yeah, it does stop some potential folks making a decision young in their career that they might want to go into professional selling. It's pretty deep. It's deep, uh, deep as in uh, probably one of the the most famous and lauded pieces of literature ever to come out of the United States it was a play 
uh, called uh, Death of a Salesman. And uh, the, key, the key character in Death of a Salesman was this uh, sales guy named Willie Loman, like low man on the totem pole. And Willie was out every week, you know, on the stump, and his family life was a basket case. His personal life was a basket case. The, the kids that read about Willie Loman when they're in junior or senior high school or are, are getting a first dose of what they probably presume is a credible picture of what selling is all about. And, you know, the play was called Death of the Salesman. So that's, that's a really uplifting subject title. Uh, that's just a, an example. And a pretty, you know, when you win the Pulitzer Prize, that's a fairly strong example of the depth of stereotypes of salespeople. Now, what's kind of interesting is that um, those stereotypes continue to be pushed out in typical television, movies. There's any number of movies that have, uh, have just absolutely obliterated any sense of reality uh, to the sales role. And so I get it. I can understand why folks really think of sales as the last option that they'd ever want to go into. Most of us as consumers really see salespeople for the first time in a retail store. And if anybody, uh, I'm going to pick on one uh, retailer at the moment here who uh, has, it's kind of um, perhaps on its very last shot, and that's Sears. But uh, many folks that are listening to this uh, interview may remember experiences when they would go into Sears, and if they even set foot into the major appliance section of Sears, before you could even figure out that you'd gone wrong, three, four, you know, brutish salesperson uh, come over attack you, and before you know it, they're trying to sell the proverbial icebox to an Eskimo. I get it, Michael. That type of behavior sends signals that this is not a profession I would ever want to be in. So, uh, you know, what, what is the reality today? I mean, what is, what is the profile of the typical salesperson? I know, I know there's different kinds, and we're going to get into a little bit into uh, particularly making a distinction between uh, B to C and B to B salespeople, but you know, uh, you know, sales is actually one of the most popular uh, career paths. As I said, you know, in business schools today, certainly among marketing majors. So, despite this Willie Loman stereotype, clearly a lot of students are not. Maybe they're maybe they don't read that book anymore, uh, play anymore. I don't know. But um, uh, why is it that sales is one of the top growth areas, you know, especially in light of the technology that in some ways replaces salespeople. And I want to talk some more about that as well. But, you know, what, why is it that so many young people are seeking a career in, in sales? Well, fortunately, the, the reality of sales is so very different from those stereotypes. And so the challenge I think we have as, as professors that, that work with students and try to help them get a career launch is, Unlike some other professions, with sales, we have to do quite a lot of um, cleanup work to help them understand that uh, sales isn't really like those stereotypes at all, and especially today, because as you've mentioned, sales is heavily technology enabled today. And the type of skill set that it takes to be successful in sales nowadays is very, very impressive indeed. Because we certainly hope that our business graduates, at least, have some fairly good writing skills and some good analytical skills. But to be really good in sales, you've also got to have other skill sets that are somewhat different. And things like uh, good listening skills and the ability to have empathy with someone else you're talking with. For example, your buyer if you're a salesperson. Or the ability to persuade not in a pushy, stereotypical way, but in a way that helps create uh, what a lot of times is referred to in sales as a win-win solution. And that, that's a mindset. And the sales mindset is what we really try to work on and acculturate into students nowadays in, in going through our classes and our programs. The reason that students are so interested in going into sales now is because it is one of the most direct career tracks into higher uh, level 
positions in organizations. Uh, there's been a number of interesting studies done that have looked at the traits of successful organizational leaders, as in C-suite types, and it's remarkable how many of the traits that correlate highly with success in organizational leadership also correlate with success in uh, sales. It's pretty amazing, actually. Uh, things like adaptability, tenacity, uh, excellent verbal communications, ability to interact with people at all, all levels of a firm. Uh, those things are tremendous skill set items for any organizational leader. Guess what? You've also got to have those same traits and practice them and execute them well to be great in sales. So what we see kind of in this sales education movement that's been going on at least here in the United States for about 15 years is that students understand that sales is an opportunity track upward in an organization. You know, you, you touched on, on some of the characteristics that make for good salespeople. I mean, if you're, if, if you're a company and you're recruiting a salesperson, who is your ideal candidate? You know, what, what do they look like uh, psychologically, demographically, whatever, whatever, you, whatever you think? You know, who, yeah. who is your dream? Yeah, that's, that's the, that is the $64,000 plus question there because uh, so many organizations have tried to come up with a formulaic approach to hire the very best salespeople. Uh, I, I've heard so many stories from sales leaders over the years about what they believe is their magic formula. Probably the most humorous one I ever heard, and I will keep the company and the names absent to protect the guilty here. But I went up to see a guy one time uh, who was leading a major insurance organization, and he was hiring quite a few of our students at that time in entry-level sales jobs. And I was curious to find out, because our students seemed to be doing well, a little bit more about how he was recruiting. And we're sitting in his sumptuous office up on a high floor of a building, and uh, we started talking, and it finally got around to the main question I was wanting to know. And I said, um, so tell me a little bit about how do you screen and recruit salespeople? And, and, and he looked at me and he said, very simple. We use a handwriting analysis. Now, you know, Michael, sometimes you have to stop and you say, is this guy kidding or is he telling me something straight up? And I almost gave in and laughed, but somehow I held myself. And so I came back to him and I said, oh, really? Tell me a little bit more about that. And then he proceeded to spend about 15 minutes explaining how he was completely convinced that he could send a person's handwriting off to an analyst and that based on how it scores on certain dimensions by this guru of handwriting would be able to hire the best possible salespeople. Well, let me just say categorically to everybody listening today, that doesn't happen. Um, the way that we end up finding the right salespeople is not by any one thing. Uh, great salespeople are not all phenomenal, sort of like uh, uber extroverts. We're not hiring game show hosts here. We're hiring people who need to be well-balanced, who know when to listen, who are respectful, who are very professional in their demeanor. We want to hire people who are well-organized not possible to be successful in sales if you are a scatterbrained, unorganized goofball, because all that's going to do is reflect over on your relationship with customers. And then even just basic selling step skills, like when somebody says, Michael, I hear what you're saying, but I just don't think I have a need for your product. All right. You've got to be able to come back. This is the tenacity part and you've got to come back and you've got to be able to say well Michael tell me a little bit about more what you're looking for and then hopefully Michael will talk and he will tell me a little more that will help me come back and be able to say I appreciate that because um, I, it's probably my fault I, I haven't told you a few things that might be useful to you about what we offer so you know the truth is that there's not one silver bullet for who the right person is for sales, but 
what it is, it's, it's, a, it's a combination of characteristics and skills that lead to a person's capability to think on their feet and present themselves in a way with the clients that builds the relationship and the trust that the client is looking for from anybody who does business with them. All right, great. Uh, well, we're going we're gonna to take a quick break, folks, and when we come back, we're going to get into the weeds a bit more about the, the present and future of sales and how customers fit into all that. So uh, we'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Book international speaker and renowned author Dr. Michael Solomon for your event today. Michael's presentations reveal cutting-edge trends in advertising and marketing, branding, consumer behavior, and social media. He captivates audiences with the insights he unveils during his interactive keynotes and seminars. Michael has spoken to Fortune 500 companies, top advertising agencies, associations, and branches of government on five continents and has received rave reviews. Book Michael today at michaelsolomon.com. Marketers, Tear Down These Walls, Liberating the Postmodern Consumer by Dr. Michael Solomon is a revolutionary book that explores the psychology of the consumer in today's changing times. The book is packed with information and tools you need to create winning marketing strategies for a complex marketplace. Michael encourages readers to move out of the box, to think like contemporary consumers, and do things differently. This is a reader's favorite. Order today at Amazon.com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are tuned in to We Are What We Buy. To reach Dr. Michael Solomon or his guest on today's program, please send an email to michael at michaelsolomon.com. Now back to We Are What We Buy. Welcome back to We Are What We Buy. I'm Dr. Michael Solomon, and we are talking to Dr. Greg Marshall, who is a, an authority on sales and sales training. And... Um, we were uh, we were talking before the break about the characteristics that make for a good salesperson. Now, now obviously, sales covers a lot of ground, so I know it's difficult to to squeeze everything into one category. You know, Greg, one of the the basic distinction we make is between B to C and B to B sales. So, can you just take a quick second and and make sure everybody understands that distinction? Yeah, sure thing. Thanks, Michael. Um, almost like um, two different jobs. In the consumer side of sales, we're typically talking about direct-to-consumer selling in some form or another. So retail clerks, retail salespeople, uh, sales that might be done through eBay, anything that is kind of a contact point where the consumer is directly in touch with the salesperson. Uh, those can be great jobs. Typically not the types of sales jobs you train for, though, through getting a, a university degree and it's not the sort of job where you typically would have a lot of upward mobility compared to B2B where you're selling for a company or some kind of other provider that's in a professional environment. Your buyers are professionals. So one of the big differences in business to business selling is the fact that somebody who's trained and well-educated uh, and is on the other side of the desk is an expert to you is the person you're communicating with. And, uh, and of course, you know, in either case, there, there's another distinction I'm hoping that you'll, you'll clarify for everybody, because I, I struggle with this sometimes. People make a distinction between marketing and sales. And, you know, to me as a marketing professor, sales is a part of marketing, you know, but, but uh, in a lot of organizations, they, they really are two distinct things. So can you talk a little bit about 
the you know sales and marketing how are they different how are they the same how do they work together or should they not work together <laughs> well I, I have to chuckle I can't help it it's uh, I used to do a gig around from time to time and it was titled uh, marketers are from Mars salespeople are from Venus and the, the it was very therapeutic to people who came to these sessions because largely marketers would show up and it seems to me that marketers professional marketers uh, don't quite know what to do with the sales force uh, most folks that go into marketing are are somewhat disinterested in sales uh, or maybe worse uh, sales kind of the idea of being a professional salesperson is repellent whereas you know marketing i think sometimes as professionals we can be a bit uh, you know ethereal and maybe a bit more intellectual and we think we're sitting in the back room somewhere doing things that are having this massive kind of impact. So there is a real distinction culturally between the sales organizational culture and the marketing culture. I'm not sure that in most firms, Michael, that sales and marketing really plays well in the same sandbox. And interestingly enough, it's, it's fairly common to see people who start out in sales, go into sales management, and then end up in uh, a product management or brand management or some other type of marketing role. Some companies actually uh, force that to get into the uh, brand suite. You have to have some customer contact experience. But I have to tell you, I almost never have seen it go the opposite direction, where somebody goes into marketing and kind of just says, yeah, you know, this marketing thing is, is, is an okay gig, but I think I'm going to jump over the other side of the desk and go into business-to-business -business outside sales. It just doesn't really happen very much. That's the crux of the problem. And I, I do, do sort of put more of the problem on marketers than on salespeople. And I'm both. I mean, I was in marketing and sales, so I'm blaming myself. But I think marketers don't really take a lot of effort to try to integrate sales into very simple things like it's time to do the marketing plan okay and don't we think maybe the sales organization should be part of that process no no marketing does the marketing plan so what i've advocated for years is with i can't say how much success but still am advocating is that marketers need to take the responsibility for integrating sales into their marketing planning processes and other activities so that the frontline people that we depend on to do the interface with our customers have a direct line into the kinds of product development and marketing communication process development, et cetera, that marketers do as part of their jobs. Well, you, you used a, a term that I think is really important. You talked about this idea of having customer contact experience and you know, I think that's a that's a good segue into a really important topic today, and that that's how that the the nature of that contact is is changing, especially with with technology, and of course the way young people prefer to interact with one another is very different than how you or I might might interact. Um, you know, I, I my experience is I, I've had a lot of people tell me, well, you know, young people, they don't want a cold call. They don't even want to call on people in person. And, you know, we see this, uh, you know, two two people on a date in a restaurant and they're texting each other <laughs> instead of talking. Absolutely. Uh, um, you know, and I think I think that is bleeding over into the sales as well. So, you know, let, let's talk. Let's talk about technology and, of course, social media. And, you know, we can even use the word omnichannel because. Yep. That reminds us that customers want to be contacted wherever they are, and that may not be when they walk into a store. So, you know, how is the sales profession thinking about the changing nature of that contact? Is it is it face-to-face? -face? Uh, you know, where where is the technology taking us? Well, I, I, you're on to something here that is uh, really a boardroom topic because even – the singular advances that have happened in CRM or customer relationship management platforms have revolutionized sales. Uh, for those of you that aren't perhaps familiar with CRM, uh, CRM is a database and it is a, it's a software that allows you to capture information on customers 
at any place that you have a touch point with them. So could be phone, could be online, could be direct with the salesperson in an office, whatever. And the concept is super simple that what we need to do is we need to make sure we've got, got good, complete information on our customers so that we can do a better job of not only selling to them, but also marketing can do a better job of product development and innovation towards customer needs. So anyhow, I think the CRM thing is kind of the big platform that's revolutionized the broader-based other technology opportunities in sales. But you also mentioned a couple of other pieces of technology that clearly are, are out there that I have to tell you from my experience, a lot of professional salespeople don't really know what to do with. One of them is the opportunity that we have to utilize social media as a, as a tremendous tool in our own sales efforts. And I'm not just talking about uh, business to consumer, I'm talking about in the B2B. Uh, some colleagues of mine uh, and I did a, a study a few years ago, and it was really just, we wanted to find out what sales managers were doing in a whole variety of organizations, different industries, et cetera, in terms of promoting effective use of social media on the part of their salespeople. And you know, Mike, you've done a lot of studies over your years, and, and sometimes you go into these things with a preconceived idea about what's going to come out, but you get in and you come out with something completely different. In this case, we were doing interviews and focus groups, and after about the third or fourth one of these things, we're looking at each other, we're going, this is a nightmare, because all of these sales managers who were classically going to be, say, in the age range from early to mid-30s up into late 40s, typical kind of mid-range sales managers, they were all going, I, I don't understand anything about it. I, I, I can't train my salespeople and give them advice on what to do with social media because I don't even know what to do with it myself. And so from that, it was very, very clear, and this was recent, uh, very, very clear that we need some help in sales organizations. It's not that the digital native generation who's going into sales now isn't capable of using social media. It's that what they seem to do is think that the switch clicks and they're just using the same social media behaviors that they were using for their personal interactions with professional buyers. And that absolutely does not work. So there's an opportunity there for sales organizations who can do a better job of training these young recruits on how to use social media to their best advantage. So is, you know, is that going to replace the, the old business lunch, you know, the sales lunch, uh, you know, talking to people, uh, uh, instant messaging or texting or Skyping? Is that going to replace uh, it or just? Yeah, well, the IRS has already done quite a bit to, uh, to squelch the old business lunch, uh, or at least the three martini part of the old business lunch. But there's no doubt that not only do the, remember, uh, in business-to-business -business selling, the organizational buyer, the professional that we are calling on to do business as a salesperson, they're a new generation too. And so one of the things that, that we understand, in, you know, kind of on, on my side of the desk is that they don't want as much direct interaction as the prior generation of buyers wanted. And so I don't think we have a choice. Your point is absolutely right. That as if I was starting out as in a great company as a B2B salesperson today, I would develop, hopefully my company would support this and would train me how to do it, but I would want to develop more of this omni-channel approach so that I'm, I'm getting the buyer into my focus and into contact the way that they want to be dealt with, not laying over something that the company is training me to do that is a 10-year-old set of ideas about you have to make a call on this buyer in person uh, every two to three weeks or you're not doing your job. Yeah, and uh, so let, let me leave you with one, one more question. And um, this, you know, a lot of people are, talking about automation, worried about having their jobs replaced by robots, whether they're truck drivers or people at ad agencies, you know. Uh, what about salespeople? I mean, are, 
are they going to be replaced by robots? <laughs> well, it's a valid question, um, but I've got great news about that. Uh, a, a few minutes ago, I used the word movement, and I didn't choose that word lightly. Uh, at universities, particularly in the United States, but it's growing globally, um, in business schools, it, the, the growth in the last 10 years of professional selling programs, including minors, majors, selling centers, uh, everything that fully supports an undergraduate student to come out and be able to get a great first job in professional selling, it is one of the, the top growth areas in business schools right now. And the reason for that is to your point, because absolutely not. In fact, the, the predictions are the opposite, that the role of professional salespeople in business to business will continue to grow. It's what the role is and the nature of what their job is that is going to be different. And I'm going to put up a little warning flag for marketing now, because on this marketers from Mars, salespeople from Venus concept, look, salespeople who are well-trained, who uh, understand the analytics, understand the research piece, who uh, are great when they come to communication skills, those types of salespeople are what these new sales degrees and sales centers are training our students to be able to do. And so if I was going to make one prediction, I would say that the sales role probably becomes more omnibus. And some of the things that marketing has been doing in the past to, quote, support sales probably becomes less impactful. So if anything, the crux of the identity crisis may be more on the marketing side than on the sales side, even given the technology. All right. Well, I'm sure there's a lot of relieved salespeople out there listening to you. So, <laughs> Well, that's what we do. I want salespeople to be relieved. <laughs> there you go. All right. Thanks. Thanks so much for joining us. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you. You've been listening to We Are What We Buy. I'm Dr. Michael Solomon. Uh, reach out to me at michael at michaelsolomon.com. Thanks and see you next week. Thank you for listening to We Are What We Buy. Please join your host, Dr. Michael Solomon, again next Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time and 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, have a winning week.